0: This morning, I'd like to invite you to consider with me the first four verses of a little portion of scripture called 1 John. 1 John verses 1 through 4 of the first chapter. And the title for my message this morning is this. Our fellowship with God in Christ Jesus rests on the apostolic witness. Christianity, unlike all other religions, is rooted in history. Or perhaps better stated, history bears witness to the movement of God's revelation climaxing in Christ Jesus. This is quite unlike other religions that are concocted by single individual humans. Christianity is not concocted by any human, but rather it is the very religion that embraces the one true God who has revealed himself in history. The Bible's storyline is the true story of the whole world which features Christ Jesus from beginning to end. There would be no history apart from Christ Jesus, who was, and who is, and who is to come, as Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 portrays him. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the creator, the sustainer, and the consummator of all things. The Lord Jesus himself identifies himself this way. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, Revelation 1 verse 8. And again, he identifies himself this way, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Revelation chapter 22 verse 13. So the point that I'm making is history bears witness to the movement of God's Revelation that climaxes, that begins in Christ and climaxes in him. The Apostle John well portrays the eternality of Jesus with the opening statements of his gospel. We call it the Gospel of John, or the fourth gospel. You've already heard these words, but I will read them again with a slightly different translation. In the beginning was the word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That one was with God in the beginning. All things were created through that one, and apart from that one, not one thing was created that has been created. In that one was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not apprehend it then wonder of wonders the eternal word designated the eternal life became human as the apostle john also declares in the same gospel the word became flesh and tabernacled among us we observed his glory the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. When the word took on human flesh, the word who spoke time and space into existence, when we read the text in Genesis in the beginning, (coughs) that one who spoke time and space into existence entered into time and space, the habitation of the mighty maker's creatures. The unseen God made himself seen as an infant conceived and born into history to grow as a child, to attain maturity, and to complete his mission, reaching the climax of his mission out of all places at the cross. As Isaac Watts expresses it so well, well might the sun in darkness hide and sh- shut its glories in when God the mighty maker died for his own creature's sin. And Again, as John expresses it in his gospel, no one has ever seen God The one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. That one who has become flesh has revealed God. No one has seen God, but if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. The beginning of 1 John echoes the beginning of the Gospel that John wrote what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon and our hands have grasped concerning the word of life. And the life was revealed, and we have seen, and we have are bearing witness, and we are announcing to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was disclosed to us, what we have seen and we have heard we also announce to you that you may also have fellowship with us now also our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and we are writing these things that our joy may become complete these initial four verses of first John will be our focus this morning. There are three declarations concerning the word of life that will guide our consideration of this passage. First, the word of life in human flesh, verse one. Second, the word of life revealed, verse two. And third, the word of life proclaimed, verses three and four. So, The word of life in human flesh, verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon and our hands have grasped concerning the word of life. That's the verse we're going to consider first. As he does with the beginning of his gospel, recalling the opening words of Genesis 1 in the beginning, John does the same here. And this is probably better called a sermon or a homily than a letter. It doesn't read exactly like a letter. It's more like a sermon. What was from the beginning? Of course, it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John brings forward from his gospel very things that are echoing that here in this little sermon. So the word of life in human flesh, now let's consider under that the word of life's pronouns. Since personal pronouns are regularly in the news these days and on social media, the one part of speech everyone should know is the third person personal pronoun. In English, they are he, she, him, her, his, hers, and they theirs. John wrote in Greek, and the pronoun that he begins his message with in 1 John is distinctive compared to ours. Our pronouns are gender-related, masculine or feminine, but Greek has an odd little creature called the neuter pronoun. And that's the pronoun that that John uses here. He uses it four times in verse 1. The closest our English can capture John's pronoun is to translate it with an impersonal pronoun. What? What was from the beginning? What we have heard? What we have seen with our eyes? What we have looked upon and our hands have grasped concerning the word of life. John could have, but does not say, the one, or he. He could have said, he who was from the beginning, but he doesn't. He holds that in abeyance for a little bit. He wants us to grapple with the significance of this one, and in terms of what was from the beginning. too majestic is the word of life to be captured comprehensively and contained with human language. And that's, I think, the point that John is making. Yet, as he continues, John is going to speak of this majestic word of life in tangible and visible terms. So, now, the eternal words humanity, heard, seen, looked upon, and handled. The eternal, grand, majestic word of life, which was from the beginning, came in human flesh. He was heard, seen, looked on, and grasped with human hands. The word of life not only entered history, time, and space, but also took on human flesh, signifying the dignity and sanctity of his physical creation, including our human flesh, these bodies. He took on human flesh to redeem humans in every regard, including our bodies and the environment in which God has placed us. It is highly significant that John dwells here by elaborating this way. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon, and what our hands have grasped concerning the word of life. It's not some kind of evasive, intangible idea, but a very tangible human, the word of life became flesh and was seen, was heard, was looked on, was grasped with the hands. Why does John so emphatically underscore the bodily, tangible, and visible form of the word of life? I believe it is because the Apostle John is exposing and opposing one of the first and most enduring heresies the gospel has ever encountered. It was an early form of Gnosticism. You've heard of various Gnostic Gospels, all of them written in the second century by frauds and ascribed falsely to various believers from the first century, such as Peter and Judas. Judas, of course, not a believer, but Mary and others. Late in the first century, when John was living, there was a man named Serinthus who taught that Jesus was the natural offspring of Joseph and of Mary, that he was the child of their union, and that he, being an ordinary man, received the Christ. The Christ means the anointed one. And so he says that this one received the anointing at a particular time at his baptism and the divine anointing with power and that the Christ left him before he died on the cross. So Syrinthus, like the Gnostics of the second century repudiated material creation as inherently evil. And to him, salvation would be realized as with the other Gnostics of the second century, salvation would be realized by escaping from these physical bodies. Irenaeus, a second century Christian, tells of an account he likely heard from Polycarp. Polycarp was a man who lived in the first and second centuries, and he was discipled, tutored by the Apostle John. And Polycarp apparently told Irenaeus of a story about the Apostle John in Ephesus. The story, the brief story goes this way. John, the disciple of the Lord, going to bathe at Ephesus and perceiving Serinthus within the bathhouse rushed out of the bathhouse without bathing, exclaiming, let us flee, lest even the bathhouse fall down, because Sarinthus, the enemy of the truth, is within. John, the apostle of love, admonishing his fellow believers, let us flee, lest the Lord smite this place, and we perish along with Sarinthus." It is evident that First John speaks, against this kind of heresy and its intrusion into the church in the first century, late first century. Here are a few passages from 1 John that makes this evident. Here are four. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. From this, we know that it is the last hour. The fact that there are many antichrists indicates to us that it's the last hour. Other places in the New Testament would use another expression. It's the last days or the last time. John uses the last hour to e- equal that expression. He continues, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have persevered with us. But they went out that they might be exposed to that they are not all from us. 1 John 2:18 and 19. Another passage. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and that every liar is certainly not from the truth. Who is the liar except the one who affirms this? Denial. Christ is not Jesus. This is the Antichrist, John tells us, who denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 2, 21 and 22. Another passage. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but examine the spirits whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this we know the spirit who is of God. Every spirit... That confesses Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is from God and every spirit who does not confess this Jesus is not from God and when John tells us and admonishes us believe not every spirit but test the spirits he's not talking about intangible things as though we need to be looking around for spirits hovering around us no John is saying test the spirits that is test those who are teachers test the teachers test the preachers test those who claim to be prophets the point is both those who preach the gospel and those who do not those who preach an anti-gospel do so energized by some spirit either the Holy Spirit or a false spirit and that's the point why John says believe not every spirit but test the spirits whether they are from God that's 1 John 4 1 and 2 now we know that the son of God is come and he has given us the understanding that we might know the true one and the true one is his son Jesus Christ this one is the true God and eternal life Children, guard yourselves against idols. 1 John 5, verses 20 and 21. That same heresy that has hounded the church from the first century until now in different forms, denying the bodily resurrection of our Lord, denying the bodily return of our Lord, Believing that we receive our resurrection bodies when we die. And there are many people who believe that. It's a false teaching. That's not Christian gospel. That's not Christian doctrine. Believing that our eternal abode is not here on this earth renewed, but in some remote place in the ether. Believing that God will annihilate his entire created order and start afresh. These are all false beliefs that are hanging upon us from the first century heresy of Gnosticism. These and many more are evidences that Gnostic beliefs still plague Christ's church. The Apostle John emphatically affirms that the word of life who was from the beginning came bodily with a tangible substantial touchable physical body the word of life from whom all things derive their lives became a human with a palpable touchable body the creator became a human bearing the form of a creature without being created he is at once Fully God and fully man. Now, the second point as we move to verse 2 the Word of Life revealed in flesh. Notice, not yet does John identify the Word of Life in verse 1 as Jesus Christ or as God's Son. He will do this, but not yet. Instead, What John does here is he features the word as the very source of all life, of which all created life is an earthly shadow. So now, just as he does in his gospel, John proceeds by speaking of him as the life. The word is one name, one designation. Now, the life is another designation. In that one was life, and the life was the light of men. That's what he says in his gospel. The life was revealed. And the life was revealed may strike us as an odd statement because we tend to think of life as intangible, elusive, not physical. But again, John is emphasizing the creator's incarnation, his becoming human and his self-disclosing through his teaching ministry, including his miraculous healings and his raising of people from death unto life, foreshadowing what he will do for all of us in the last day. All of this leading to the words to the life's sacrificial atoning death. Life dies. John's statement, and the life was revealed, also strikes us as odd because of what he says next. The life was seen, witnessed, announced. He reiterates what he says in verse 1, just in case you haven't gotten it yet. He reiterates, and the life was revealed, and we have seen, and we are bearing witness. And then he adds, we are announcing to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was disclosed to us. This is how the apostle John advances his argument in 1st John. He does not develop his themes in a straight line as we tend to see in the apostle Paul's letters. John instead advances and progresses forward by taking his readers through a series of recurring themes in a kind of cyclical pattern but progressing upward. So his progress is forward, but it's also upward on a spiral staircase, retracing themes. And that is one of the beauties of 1 John, which is why the vocabulary is so simple and and so repetitious that beginning Greek students begin reading the New Testament in 1 John. So he retraces what he affirms in verse 1 what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon, and our hands have grasped concerning the word of life. You might initially begin to think, this is annoying, but John does it very purposefully. Repetition, repetition is important. Repeating, memorizing, reciting is important to the Christian faith. But this is no mere retracing that John is engaging. He is emphasizing the apostles role as eyewitnesses of the word of life who have a holy and divinely endowed mission to proclaim the word and to the world what they have witnessed. We are announcing to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was revealed to us. They witnessed the eternal life. That's John's expression. He still hasn't gotten to the historic Jesus name. He's still speaking of the word, life, now eternal life. We are announcing to you the eternal life. They now bear witness to the eternal life which was with the Father and was now revealed to them. Have we properly contemplated what a remarkable claim he is making? How were they witnesses of the eternal life, which was with the Father from the beginning? This brings us to our final point. The word of life proclaimed the apostolic message. Verses 3 and 4. John explains, What we have seen and we have heard, we also announce to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Now also our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that our joy may become complete. The apostolic preaching of the word of life. Now, again, for the fourth time, John emphasizes the apostolic witness of the word of life by writing what we have seen. And for the second time, he writes what we have heard. Jesus prayed for you and for me on the night before he died on the cross in what we call jesus's high priestly prayer he prayed to the father these words this petition i do not ask for these only these my 11 now who are with me one having defected i do not ask for these only my chosen apostles but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus does not come in the flesh to each one of us to testify of his accomplished redemption. I've not met Jesus in the flesh, but I've met Jesus. Jesus called his apostles to bear witness, to testify as eyewitnesses of the resurrected Messiah. It is through their word, through the apostolic preaching of the gospel, the apostolic preaching of Christ, that you and I come to faith in him and receive salvation in him and in him alone. And Jesus makes their testimony effective for our faith by praying for us long ago and by interceding now for us as well as paul tells us in romans 8. i do not pray for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word and our lord has providentially preserved their eyewitness accounts for us by the meticulous copying of their scriptures have you ever sat down to thank god for all of the humans who have carefully, meticulously copied the scriptures for us. We casually go about our homes and our lives because we have all kinds of Bibles throughout our homes and we carry them perhaps in our electronic devices. But the only way they were published until Johann Gutenberg published the Latin Latin Vulgate in the middle of the 15th century, the only way they were published was by hand, character by character, stroke, by stroke. Are you grateful for those individuals who devoted their lives to that? Thank God for them. The nature of true fellowship, John speaks of having a share in eternal life. What do the apostles preach? They don't proclaim merely some idea, a philosophy, some proposition. They preach a person. The apostles preach Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul makes this explicit when he speaks like this in 1 Corinthians 15 12 now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead to preach the gospel is to preach Christ again Paul in Philippians 1 verses 15 through 18 some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill the latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, in prison. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in that I rejoice. John is saying the same thing. The apostles proclaim the word of life. They proclaim a person. The gospel is not simply a proposition, an idea. It is a person. This is why the tagline we have here at Christ's Bible Church is this, glorifying God by bringing all of Christ into all of life. To preach the gospel is to preach Christ. John explains that the apostles did not privatize their eyewitness of the word of life, as something to be treasured for themselves. He says, what we have seen and what we have heard, we also announce to you that you also may have fellowship with us. This is precisely what Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer, that they may all be one with us as the Father is one with me. The eyewitness message concerning the word of life must be spread indiscriminately far and wide to all humanity. Why? John explains that you also may have fellowship with us. That's the way humans come into fellowship with God. Many Christians, as I was, have been falsely taught that the fellowship of which John speaks here in 1 John is a deeper, fuller, higher plane living of the Christian life than most Christians experience. That too is a false message. The teaching is destructive. When John uses the word fellowship, he is speaking of what we have in common. And what is that we have in common? It is nothing greater than eternal life. You can't attain more than that. It's eternal life. To have fellowship with God is to have eternal life. And we know this, because of what John wrote next, where he speaks of being united by the common eternal life in God's Son. Now also our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things that our joy may become complete. The apostles preached eternal life so that others might have a share in eternal life with the Father. And with his Son, Jesus Christ, To have life eternal is to have Christ Jesus. To have eternal life is to have this fellowship with the Father. To have eternal life is to have what the Father and the Son share in common. There is no greater possession we could have than to have eternal life. Because to have eternal life is to have Christ Jesus. There is no higher plane of life than this. And John then speaks of the joy of announcing the eternal life. We, we write to you that our joy may become complete. The Apostle John's joy reaches fulfillment by conveying to others what he saw with his eyes, what he heard with his ears, and what he grasped with his hands. No one has ever seen God, but the apostles witnessed the word of life, who was with the Father, and was revealed to them. Philip, remember on the night that Jesus was about to die the next day, Philip instructed Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Echoing Moses' plea with God, show me your glory. And Jesus asked Philip in return, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? You see, Philip was thinking altogether too much like we might think, wanting to see with his eyes, see something tangible. But to see the Father in Jesus is to see character, attributes, quality, character. Later in 1 John, the apostle states this no one has ever seen god if we love one another god resides among us and his love is perfected among us 1 john 4:12 love for one another is evidence that god is with us because we have a share of the eternal life the apostles witnessed and proclaimed to us through their word god resides with us and among us here at Christ Bible Church God's presence is evident in our love for one another and until our Lord returns bodily when we shall see him and whom to see is to see the Father God's presence in mutual love for one another suffices I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, declares our Lord. Surely I am coming soon. And we say in response, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.